Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. And then as soon as we wanted to watch it on that Forgotten Cinema, it goes to A&E, and I got to pay to rent it. She obliterates his area. He's back up fighting like there's no pain going through there. Lady, you're about five punches to the ball. That too late. guy. There's nothing down yeah. there but dust. That guy needs to be on the floor writhing in pain. Oh, man, he reads a lot. He's such a weird <laughs> man. He's so great. He's so much better than everybody. He is, right? Look oh at that review. Oh, my God. Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of over 150 episodes for your listening pleasure. Did you do that from memory or did you do that reading off of uh, the sheet? You'll never know. No, no. See, I do know because you forgot Hidden Gem. (laughs) Come on now. So terrible. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. We are not alone. Who who is joining us today? We are being joined by the Film Trace podcast. Yes. Oh yeah. Hey, hey guys. Hey. Hey. Um, <laughs> they have names. It's Chris and Dan. Chris, <laughs> I, I was going to get. Oh, I'm Phil and he's Trace. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, that, that would be that would be freaking actually, awesome. A- absolutely. That's like Tango and Cash. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do you guys want to do a quick intro about your podcast? Let everyone know uh, you know what you're all about. Yeah. Sure, Chris. I'm I'm tagging you. Oh, damn it. Um, no, that's cool. Cause you always do the intro, uh, when we do the show. And so this gives me some practice. Thank you, Dan. Um, we're a podcast that, uh, tries to trace the evolution of either a particular film or genre film, subgenre, whatever. Um, we've done both a number of times right now. We, uh, just recently finished up tracing the evolution of the existential thriller. So suspense films that have, you know, some kind of like deeper, uh, protagonist, crisis that's going on at the center of the movies like the game michael clayton and we were also looking at uh, more modern ones like alex garland's men which turned out to be not just an existential thriller but so much uh, more for better or worse um, but we are gearing up now to do a new uh, cycle of uh, tracing um, the life of the absurdist action movies so like action comedies movies that kind of nebulously flow between those two genres and you guys uh, changed your format a little bit, right? Did you guys adjust oh, yeah. your format? Many times. Yeah. <laughs> Many times. That's great. Yeah. Though. Yeah. We started the, the pandemic. We used to do like a box office podcast together called the Wildline Podcast. And then the box office shut down. Uh, and so we <laughs> yeah. switched over to Film Trace. And yeah, we started out with like movies that were new to streaming. So we do like one mm-hmm. new movie, one old movie that had anniversary. I would do it for a few years. And then we kind of got, I think we got bored with it. Or it wasn't as challenging or something. I'm not sure right. what. Uh, we want to do something like more like so when we did a season, like the movies would kind of blend in together a, a lot more. And so, yeah, we've been loving it. We did uh, self-aware horror and then existential uh, thrillers and now absurdist action coming up. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I, I dig your I dig your podcast. I like I like podcasts that go in depth and, and talk about not just like, hey, what's cool, what's fun. But, you know, kind of talk about, you know, the movie, what everything around the movie and and just like all that 
all that stuff kind of like, I don't know. That that kind of stuff I enjoy. I don't know if Butler likes that kind of stuff, but I do. <laughs> no, I don't even. I don't even like movies. I'm here for all that money, all that sweet, sweet podcast money. <laughs> oh, I forgot all about that. Shh, don't tell anybody. All right. <laughs> so, as everyone knows on the show, something when we have guests, we always offer you know the, for the guests to pick the movie. And uh, I think you we I sent you the giant list, right? Oh the yeah, huge list of yeah. yeah, yeah. We yeah, that's just we always add to that. And uh, I'll let you guys tell us what movie we're doing. And then once you do that, I'll pop in the synopsis. So what movie did you choose for us to to go over today? Did I choose this, Chris, or did you? I think um, I did. We, w- we kind of went back and forth. I think I like, I, I, sh- I gave you a short list from their giant list. Yeah. And then we kind of texted back and forth. But it, it seemed like it was a no brainer. Like this is <laughs> the exact kind of movie. And especially since we're kind of transitioning to comedies for the first time in our podcast it, it, it made a lot of sense so i'm excited that we're gonna do role models from 2008 nice nice all right excellent uh, i don't i i forgot that we put this on the list <laughs> <laughs> i think i put it on the list <laughs> oh excellent all right so here we go after salesman danny and wheeler trash a company truck the court gives them a choice jail time or community service in a mentoring program thinking to thinking to take the easy way out the two overgrown adolescents find themselves paired with a teenager who is experiencing the pangs of first love and a foul-mouthed fifth grader who needs an attitude adjustment. He's nine years old in this. How old is he? Is this? I thought he was nine. He's a fifth grader. Uh, they say he's ten. He's mm. ten. That's not fifth grade age. I don't think my son is ten and entering fifth grade. That that that's I should know that too. I think my son's ten as well. <laughs> I swear I'm a decent father. <laughs> All right, so Role Models has a runtime of 99 minutes. It's rated R. Production budget of 28 million dollars. It came out on November 7th, 2008. That's obviously it was a Friday. I was surprised at that release. I was surprised it was a November release. Yeah. I figured that'd be a, a summer release type of film, but hey, you never know. Uh, opening weekend, it did 19 million dollars. Domestic, 67.2 million. International, 25.3 for a total of 92.6 million worldwide. So not bad for a uh, a comedy of this of this type. Which um, I have some notes on, which we could talk about uh, as we get into it. It was production company was Relativity Media and distributed out Universal Pictures. So I said it came out on the seventh. It went up against in a wide release in Madagascar Two: Escape to Africa, which unfortunately I've seen. Uh-huh. Uh, we're, also, we're dads. We we've seen them. If, yes, yes, begrudgingly. Uh, it's also also the movie Soul Men, which I completely forgot about right. with uh, Bernie Mac and Samuel mm-hmm. L. Jackson. Do do any of you remember Soul Men? Soul Men, just the movie poster. Plane? Yeah, I saw the poster and I was like, uh, I think we had this film at, at our theater, and I don't remember ever even seeing one frame of it. No, that's yeah, it's way more forgotten than this movie. Yeah. Exactly. That's for a different uh, Forgotten Cinema podcast. Uh, you also had a limited release of The Boy in the Striped Pajamas and JCVD, which is the Jean-Claude Van Damme <sighs> attempted comeback film, I guess. <laughs> Attempt, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the week after, so you had the week after you had the 12th on the Wednesday, you had a limited release of Slumdog Millionaire. But on the 14th, in the wide release, you had one of Butler's favorite films, Quantum of Solace. Right, Mike? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not it's not as bad as uh specter it's true that's it's true. got okay moments but mm. 
Mike's a big, uh, big James Bond guy. So uh, I always, and a Star Trek guy. So I always defer to him on those. <laughs> <laughs> you also had a limited release that week of the Dukes. Uh, the week before the 31st of October in a wide release on Halloween, you had Zach and Mary make a porno, which is of course a Halloween film. I don't know why that came out on Halloween. Uh, the Haunting of Molly Hartlett. Hartley, excuse me, Changeling and Rock and Rolla, and then a limited release of Splinter and My Name is Bruce. Uh, so, like, I would say this film, because of all, this is probably the film that would stand out. Its only competition would be Zack and Mary, uh-huh. uh, obviously, because you got two comedies there. I like Zack and Mary make a porno. I just think that name probably kills it yeah. for people going to see it uh, in terms of like middle America and whatnot. I don't know how you guys feel. Yeah, without a <laughs> doubt. I remember, did you guys yeah. see that in the theater? Uh, I think I, I did see that in the theater. Yeah. I think I saw these both in the theater, like one after the other. Yeah. Zach and Mary is definitely more of a required taste. Yes. I, am I mean, just now recollecting that I believe I did a double feature for my birthday that year <laughs> of <laughs> Zach and Mary and role models. <laughs> That's, I mean, I, I like Zach and Mary, but like, I know I can see how people wouldn't go to it. Um, and it's just not a Halloween film too. Like, yeah. That's yeah, it's bizarre. bizarre I, and I haven't revisited I that one. Like I've revisited role, role models. It, yeah uh, it was just the fr- well we'll get you know what i'll get to that later i, don't, I was going to jump the gun but i'll get to that later uh, this film <laughs> is directed by david wayne um, i don't know if you guys you obviously everyone remembers the state is that is that right well, yeah, yeah, we yeah the state okay as, uh, as soon as i saw the because i didn't realize he directed this film to start and then then it made sense because i remembered everyone who was in it everyone was recognizable then i see like you know the people that were behind it and ri- writing it so then i was like oh this is a state film which I, for some reason I must have blocked out of my memory when I watched it. Um, because I, I'm a big fan of those guys. I love what Hot American summer. Um, I love, I mean, wanderlust I like as well, which is something that Wayne directed as well as they came together and the TV show children's hospital. He probably was more of a producer as well as a director on that. He had a bunch of story credits, which is fun, always fun. A uh, story by W Blake Heron, who's done the porn identity Butler <laughs> and the TV show agent X screenplay and story credit for timothy dowling who did pixels and just go with it and then you had three screenplay credits for paul rudd david wayne and ken marino rudd has done he he i didn't realize he had two screenplay credits for the two ant-man films uh uh, which which tells me that was a lot of improv going on there uh he also was had a hand in writing and producing party down the tv show that was on was that that wasn't showtime right was it stars stars Stars, right and that's coming back right new ones coming out yeah. yeah yep you also had David Wayne who's written with Hot American Summer and he's involved with uh, Mad TV and the TV show Stella. And then Ken Marino, who's writ- wrote Wanderlust, he wrote The Ten and the movie Diggers. Cinematography was Russ T. Alsobrook, who's done primarily the TV show New Girl. He, did, he must have done all their episodes. He's also done Superbad and Tammy. Composer was Craig Wedren, who's done Velvet Goldmine, Roger Dodger, which I actually really like, and School of Rock. Edited by Eric Kissack, who's done Cedar Rapids, Daddy's Home, and Horrible Bosses 2. And then produced by Luke Greenfield, Mary Parent, and Scott Stuber. And I believe Greenfield produced it because he was going to direct this film mm. uh, early on. He was one of the first directors attached to the movie. Um, but then obviously he, he must have passed. But he has done Let's Be Cops and The Girl Next Door. He directed The Girl Next Door, which I actually, I think is we should put that on That's our list. That's definitely a lost classic film. Oh, yes. Without a doubt. Uh, I always remember when Timothy Oliphant kick grabs him, takes him out of the class. He's like, stay in school, kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mary Parents produced Dune Part One, which I guess they changed the name of it now, and The Revenant, which have both been nominated for Oscars. And then Scott Stuber's done Patriot's Day and Central Intelligence. I, I really actually, I always, every time Patriot's Day comes up, I always try to tell Butler to watch it because I, I kind of am a big fan of that movie. Yeah. 
So you had yeah. Sean Williams. What's up? I said, yeah, get to it. You should get to it. <laughs> and you should watch Munich. All right. So anyway, <laughs> I've seen Munich. Oh, have you? I thought you hadn't seen it. No, I've seen Munich. Oh, awesome. All right. My, my job is done. <laughs> <laughs> Sean William Scott, which I was surprised he had top billing over Paul Rudd in this, which goes to show you his level of stardom at this point, yeah. uh, is plays Wheeler. He's in the rundown American Pie series and Goon. Obviously, I just said Paul Rudd plays Danny. Do you guys know what Paul Rudd's first film was? Like Halloween was. Was it the Halloween movie? It's credited as Clueless, so I think oh. Clueless must have came out before Halloween. But Halloween's like the second yeah, one. Okay, yeah, yeah, Halloween, yeah. the Crystal Michael Myers. He, but he had Clueless. He had Halloween, the Crystal Michael Myers, and then Romeo and Juliet, the uh, Baz Luhrmann one. So he, <laughs> that's a pretty good three movies to start out with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Christopher Mintz Plass as Augie, who's in Superbad, Kickass One and Two, and Promising Young Woman more recently. Bobby J. Thompson as Ronnie. He's the boy that Wheeler has to take care of. Augie is the boy that Danny uh, is assigned to. Ron uh, Thompson is in me and Earl and the dying girl. And he's the voice in the sh uh, movie cloudy with a chance of meatballs and its sequel. Elizabeth Banks as Beth, who is in Brightburn, the pitch perfect series and W uh, Jane Lynch. as Sweeney, She's also in Zach and Mary make a porno. That's true. Yeah. Absolutely right. But I'm I was surprised you didn't. I was because I was trying to give Elizabeth Banks more gravitas in her film selections because <laughs> lately it's just been all comedies, <laughs> which is great, but I think she's a really good actress. So I like when she's in stuff that's, can show her chops. I don't know how you feel about that guys, but that's how I feel. <laughs> I don't know. She's wonderful. She's been in like yeah. all these the comedy movies since like, what, yeah. What, how to I know Summer. she directs now a lot too. So I know, I know she directed the last two or the last pitch perfect one, or maybe the last did two. Did you do Charlie's Perfect Angels movies? too? And the char yeah, I feel that she did. Uh, yeah, there's yeah, a lot of controversy that. from yeah. that. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. <laughs> Jane Lynch as Sweeney, who's in the TV show Glee. She's also in A Mighty Wind, and though she's from the Wreck It Ralph movies. And then you had Nicole Randall Johnson as Karen, who is Ronnie's uh, mother. She's from the she's from Mad TV, obviously, and the movie Murder Mystery. And then I talked about how Ken Marino's in this, Carrie Kenny, 80 Miles, and Joe Latruglia, who are all part of the from the state. I know that Butler's going to bring up Brooklyn Nine Nine because I just <laughs> that's <laughs> Boyle. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know, I know. You, you still have to Walsh. watch Brooklyn Nine Nine. Eh, like I tried, Butler. I've tried. I just don't think it's funny. I don't. <laughs> I know. There's, no, old there's man. no saving you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm too, I'm, all I do is watch Seinfeld uh, reruns. Uh, you have Matt Walsh in here. What's up, Butler? I said there's there are other things. No, not as funny as Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, I was trying to get to Matt Walsh, who's in Deep. He plays Dean. This is his uh, credit, David of Glenn Kraken. So we don't even get to know his name. We just get to know his lair name. And then Ken Jeong as King Argatron. From TV show community and he's in the hangover series. Okay. So we talked about it briefly. This was probably my second time coming back to this film. I had not I'd seen it in the theaters. I hadn't seen it since. I'm curious what's everyone, uh, if, if this is something you checked in on a lot of times or this was just another like, Hey, you know, I watched it a long time ago. Let me see what it's like. Like what is everyone's experience with this film? Um, I can start. So Anyone I, I saw it opening weekends uh, and I did not like it. Because you got to remember, like this year, like you had Semi Pro came out, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Step Brothers, Pineapple Express, Tropic Thunder, Zach and Mary. There's a lot of comedies that came out this year. Yeah, uh, and I saw this one. I was like, well, this is kind of like second run, third tier. Um, <laughs> but then I like, for whatever reason, I got curious about it, like literally three to four months ago, and I've watched it like five times since then. <laughs> uh, wow! And so yeah, I've grown to appreciate it in different ways. Nice, interesting. 
I uh, also saw it either on, I think it was probably the next, the second weekend it was out. And uh, I was, I've been a big, the state and Stella fan for years. Um, not only with David Wayne, but also following uh, Michael Showalter and Michael Ian Black. And so yep. I was excited because um, I had seen the 10 the year before and was a big fan of that. And of course was a fan of without American summer. Um, but this was kind of like his first big wide release movie. And so I was very curious and it's just such a stupid premise, but you have to, that, that that's part of the charm of it, right? Is that it, it doesn't try very hard. It's got kind of this like slacker feel to it that could very much come across as like third tier, but actually I think is part of what makes the kind of more, uh, uh, ultra or surrealist elements that are kind of like the breadcrumbs for the the state and Stella fans to to grab hold to, but it still holds its own as like a pretty traditional mainstream comedy. And so I've I've rewatched it countless times over the years. Uh, th- this my recent rewatch for the podcast was probably my first one in a while, um, and I think especially since I've probably and many people uh, hopefully people here too um <laughs> have kind of evolved when it comes to like you know homophobic stuff and uh kind of misogynist stuff and so that stuff was uh was sad to 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 refine upon mm-hmm. this latest viewing for me but there's still so much other good stuff in there that is just undeniably like incredible improv slash just really smart scripting when it comes to you know having to walk that balance between laughs and empathy for the characters so uh while i'm not i probably would have given it five stars when i was in my 20s and saw it for the first time but it's still definitely like a solid four star movie for me right butler when was the last time uh probably when it came out i probably watched it with you um during that Thursday release. And then I think I watched it that the same week, a little later on with, um, with Elise. So I've watched it twice, but I haven't watched it since then because I don't have cable. So I can't go back to things, <laughs> uh, but it's on Tubi now. So we're all good. There you go. Did you uh, have ads? I did have ads, but they were very sparse compared to last week's uh, Pluto TV debacle where it was every five minutes. <laughs> and it was TV the same ad. The worst, yeah. But I love it at the same time. <laughs> Uh, but Uh, yeah i found it still just as funny as i did then there's a lot of lines that i love that i remember but there's a lot of lines that i forgot like this has so many good quotes if there weren't guests Mm. on the show you and i feel there would be a 35 minute quote fest and that would be the end of the episode i I don't know what you're talking about i don't know what you're talking about i've got a looking at a list of quotes that i wrote down here those are coming (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what two things that um was mentioned was the fact that um this film is it felt very improvised, which is obviously accurate because this, I didn't realize this was written during the writer's strike. This was, it's not written. This was filmed during the writer's strike that happened in 2007 from November to February of 2008. Wow. This movie started filming in October of 2007. So uh, about like the writers were working. And then once the strike happened, they had to pretty much just, it, you know, when, if they needed to make script changes, they were just, it was Paul Rudd. It was them, oh, the actors on set doing it. So that's probably where his, his writing credit comes from and probably where Ken Marino's credit comes from. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I found that fascinating because I remember when the writer strikes happened, like everything shut down, but like clearly this one had already started, so they couldn't stop. So, I mean, that's probably the one thing that 
because when I when I read the note that it, everything's improvised, I immediately start thinking, okay, what lines? Like, where is the imp- improvisation happening? And I don't know if you guys any picked up on anything. If you just if it was just so fluid and 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 solid that you 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 know you couldn't you know maybe like the bagel hot dog stuff that <laughs> <laughs> Jane Lynch is doing. Maybe that's a little, especially the one at the end oh, when it was amazing. like yeah, her and Ken a, a minute, yeah, of her and Marina just pushing eyes. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so could you did you notice any moments there maybe where? It, it probably you could be like that. That had to be something off the cuff, or that had to be scripted. Did you, did anything pop out in 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 your viewing of this at this time around? The thing that always stands out for me when it's a Paul Red movie, and you know, there's got to be at least some good percentage of uh, improv is his facial reactions to things, mm-hmm. and he's clearly doing a lot of that here, which is then just triggering the performers around him to keep going, right? Because they. We want to see what, how else Rudd is going to react to things. So like the hot dog thing, but also, um, I mean, a lot of the stuff where it's just like him and Sean William Scott, um, I was, I mean, upon my rewatch last week, I was actually pretty impressed that Sean William Scott was pretty great at standing his, his own with those scenes with Paul Rudd, because you think of Paul Rudd and it's like, oh yeah, he, of course he's a not just a comedy guy, but like a really, you know, solid, like he's got tons of experience with it. And Sean William Scott is like, Oh, was he kind of flash in the pan? I think he mm-hmm. is still to this day, pre- probably pretty underrated yeah. because so much of that relationship between those two characters is not just built in the script. It's in those like moments of them, like roughhousing and uh, making fun of each other. I mean, I, I like Sean William Scott but I always feel like he's just playing Stifler, <laughs> well, uh, you know, yeah. like it's maybe with the exception of goon and maybe of the, and the rundown a little bit, maybe, but I just feel, and that's not a bad thing because that's, he, he knows his lane, I guess maybe that's the best thing to say. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? I don't know how you guys feel about that. I just feel like, I felt like in this film I was watching, like this is what happens when Stifler gets older. He certainly, yeah, <laughs> he seems to play a part. I did a rewatch. Don't ask me why. Of all the American Pie movies, not all of them, just the main it was, canon. Was saying, it was a passion Even project. The bad ones? Yeah, not the directed DVD <laughs> stuff. And I was kind of very impressed with how he kind of held up over the like growing up with that stuff. You're like, oh, he's just kind of the idiot guy, right? Right. But mm-hmm. in the American Reunion, I think it is. There's a lot of emotion there. There's a lot of like undercurrent. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I feel. I don't know. I think he's a. I think he's a good actor. Yeah, I, just well, I agree with you. Actor, yeah. I- I, I totally agree with you. I, I like him. Just, you know, how the difference between actors that can morph into a character and actors that just are basically themselves like, like Tom Cruise, like, yeah. like so big time stars, like, yeah. you know, and, they're mean, basically Tom Cruise doing this. And Paul Rudd's like that too, right? Like yeah. he's always yeah. got the, the Paul Rudd thing going on, even if he's like a Marvel superhero, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh yeah. No, absolutely. Mike, what do you, what do you think about uh, the acting in this? Or I guess the two leads we're talking about right now. I, I always like Sean William Scott. I remember back in the day they were when they were first talking about redoing an Evil Dead movie. Mm. Um, there were a lot of rumors going around about who would play Ash. I remember his name getting kicked uh, around. He would have been good, yeah. Uh, I think he would have done a really good job playing that kind of Bruce Campbell type ca- character. And as he gets older, I think that'd be like a great kind of segue for him, which just kind of starts that kind of just sarcastic asshole who's you know, just too immature for his age, but yet has more to him than just being the immature guy. Because obviously it... When you're 20 and 30 and you're doing that, it's whatever. But when you're 40 and it still works, 
or 50 and it still works. I think that that shows some skill. You can't be just immature. You have to have something there, which I think he definitely does uh, in this film. But the, the de- line that yeah. we went back to Paul Rudd and the line that I think he improv that I laughed a lot about was, uh, I bet if he suggested a game of uh, Quidditch, he'd come his oh, pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I started laughing at that. I, I think that was probably improv. <laughs> uh, yeah, but back, back to Sean William Scott, I agree with you. I think there's a genuineness to his acting. Like yeah. that comes through. Like, I think yeah. you can tell with certain actors that like, and I don't, I, and if we have fans of Chris Pratt here, I apologize. But um, like <laughs> sometimes when I'm watching Chris Pratt, I'm just kind of like, Neh. like, you know, just, I don't know what it is. Maybe I just hate Jurassic world movies so much he that it just taints everything else. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, there's just with Sean William Scott, I, I believe him. I believe the emotion and the feelings. Um, I mean, I liked Goon quite a bit Me too. and I thought that was the one thing that stood out from his filmography and I, I, he's probably good for another resurgence. So I wouldn't mind to see him again. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing now. He's- Last thing I remember him doing, he was in that lethal weapon show, but oh, then it got God. canceled after the original rigs tried to actually literally kill everybody. He's apparently in some of these shows. Just looking it up. Uh, a mockumentary sitcom called welcome to the flatch on Fox. What the fuck? Yeah. Oh, so the last two seasons, one season. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh boy. Oh boy. That reminds me you say that I didn't, I don't know. Did you guys know that they're, they're doing a sequel to uh, this is spinal tap? Uh-huh. No. Did you know that's happening? Yeah. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Everyone's back. So I don't know. <laughs> It'll probably be on Hulu as a six part. Had series, that so. retirement fund. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. So I, I talked about how this film was originally going to be directed by Luke Greenfield. And then it was written by Timothy Dallin. I think Telling has the script, the script credit just because it changed hands and he just kept it, he stayed on. And in 2007, they had uh, a script draft credits for Moses Port and David Crossicchio. Uh, I think I said that wrong. Um, and then then in 2007, later on, Rudd was actually commissioned to write a new version with David Wayne signed to direct. So I guess maybe he like I don't know what he added. I don't know what they I mean, this feels very much like a lot like a state film. Like there's stuff in there that Mm -hmm. I have seen and other stuff that they have done. Did you notice that at all? Like with the movie itself, like you could see pieces from a lot of the other things that they had done and not just David Wayne, but you know, Ken Marino and and 80 miles and whatnot. Yeah. I mean the the tone to me, it it was very like turned down here. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. like what how to American summer or anything like that, where it's like kind of in your face, that absurdist tone, but like every, every other scene, there was some little accent that was so bizarre and strange <laughs> that it was like, oh, this definitely feels like the state influence happening. Yeah. Right. And I mean, there's, it's not just Paul Rudd and uh, Ken Marino in front of the camera, right? You've also got 80 Miles, who was in uh, Wet Hot American Summer and uh, The Baxter, um, which is a Michael Showalter director movie. Yeah, great. And The Ten. Um, and then you had uh, also. Um, oh God, her name's blanking me. Ken Marino's oh, wife in the movie. Yeah. Carrie um, Kenny Silver. Uh, Carrie Kenny. Yeah. 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 From Reno 911. And she's also been in a lot of other state, uh, projects as well. Um, because there's been that, there's that crossover, right. Uh, going back to you guys mentioned Brooklyn nine, nine, like, uh, Joe Latrulio and all them too. So it's like, and I, wait, is Joe Latrulio's in the role models too, right? Yeah, he's the yeah, um, yeah. He's the member of the like the opposing uh, his clan. Like, yeah, clan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The clan that with, he yeah. ends up getting kicked out of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. So like, it's just it's all there in these like bit 
roles. And I mean, if it, you've already mentioned the Quidditch co- quote, um, and so I'll, I'll probably use this <laughs> moment of mine to say my favorite quote from the film, and then I'll, I won't get too zealous, I promise. But it's from 80 Miles, who plays like the kind of nerdy guy that keeps coming back almost creepily to the role models program, <laughs> the Sturdy Wings program. Oh, God, yeah. And uh, when Paul Rudd opens the door, as they're coming in as new recruits and he gets this like blast of popcorn um, from the kids and 80 miles just laughs and says, I've heard of popcorn in the face, but this is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Also maybe improv, but it's just like, it's just like what a weird, stupid thing, but it just is burned in my mind forever. So anytime I'm making popcorn and it like spills a little bit, I just like chuckle to myself because I (laughs) nice. I didn't realize that 80 miles was a, I don't know if he's the head writer, but he was a writer for the Tonight Show yep. Jimmy Fallon for yeah. like four years. Whoa. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Like, you just, you don't, you don't think of that because it's always, oh, we're all guilty of just what do you see on screen? And then yeah. that's the person you know. You don't, you know what I mean? Like, when you kind of dive in and see who does what, you're like, oh, wow. So that, that took me by surprise. What did you guys think of the layer stuff? Um, I don't know if uh, you're, I, I don't, I don't understand why they didn't use LARP unless yeah. they were going to get sued. I can't see uh, a note, but I believe that that's why they couldn't use it. Because they were going to get sued. I didn't think it made fun of it. I mean, Paul Rudd's character is that kind of, he's, he's that kind of character. He's going to dismiss it only to realize that he enjoys it. So I'm surprised that it wasn't, they weren't allowed to use it. They are probably told no. And also probably the if they use Lair, they don't have to s- subscribe to any like particular rules and get like, well, that's not how it's actually played. They could just make Lair whatever they want. Mm. True. That's very true. Yeah, yeah, there is like some, sense. I watched some video with David Wayne talking about, it's not up on YouTube, it's like 90 seconds, like how he shot this movie. And he, he said that, he's like, they talked all those, um, they basically had to make it up so they could do whatever they wanted with uh, the fantasy, essentially is what he said. Right. So that, and then you don't know about the nerds like saying, you didn't do it right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, don't, I wouldn't even know. I mean, I never <laughs> experienced it. I had it, so friends I out know. in Portland, Oregon who were into it. And like, true LARPers. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they like, they, they were nerdy people. I was in a board game club with these guys. So you can kind of <laughs> get the idea here. Uh, but yeah, they just like really partied hard, like really party heavy. So it's like nerds just like really going at it. Yeah. having a good time. They all sleep together. I'd imagine. Absolutely. It's like theater. Yeah. In high it's school like the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other note that I have, since you mentioned the, the LARPing, um, one of the things that probably made this shoot a lot different, and I think helped it make really work for like a traditional climax for a, a mainstream comedy is that, you know, huge set piece at the end with the ultimate battle or whatever you want to call it. David Wayne did an interview uh, with Vulture about specifically that scene and how, you know, the only reason that he signed on to do like a big studio film because he was hesitant to do it, having, you know, gotten burned by MTV in the 90s and then kind of gone just been on the outskirts of things like what had American Summer, even though it was a huge cult hit, was an independent film. And so were all of his other projects in the early 2000s. And he basically just said, like, you know, he got this offer and, you know, he knew that Rudd was rewriting the script, like you guys mentioned before, and um, thought about what this big piece at the end could be. And there's no way you could do that on like an indie budget, even though it's Mm -hmm. like all make believe, like there's no actual special effects or anything, but just like the sheer volume of it. And, you know, with crane shots and all that, it's, it's really, I think it's, 
it, it's just just like the whole beginning of the film, right? With the Minotaur and the energy drink car <laughs> crashing into the statue. Like it's just like what a weird entry point and fine like final scene like who put those two ideas together like it's it's like <laughs> asymmetrical as hell and you, yet it really works because it, of the 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 sheer like uh just intensity and goofiness of it it feels a lot like how they sandwiched the vampire musical into forgetting sarah marshall right like, yeah it's really it was like of that time where things were just it, not only were they like the scenes improv but them writing the story was kind of improv it's like oh, i'll just go wherever we want to go you know it's like the judd apatow yeah, right way of things carte blanche yeah. for all those guys yeah 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 it's like that and they're long all the movies are two and a half hours yes yes well, i always like comedy i always say comedy should be 90 to 100 yeah minutes. you gotta hit that I mean, 90 mark yeah how do you- yeah it's just when it gets to be two hours you're like okay man we gotta wrap this up <laughs> and then you have funny people feels just saying that because he doesn't like forgetting sarah marshall oh, don't i don't like, like forgetting sarah marshall uh, no i have mixed I, about I, it. I watch it all the time though. yeah yeah definitely a, too long that's though. what <laughs> well, that's one of the things. You know what? That's probably a good. Thank you, Butler. That's probably my a, a good segue to my next point. And I'm curious. <laughs> Damn it! That wasn't what I was trying to, do. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to set them up against now. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm like when movies like this come out. There's always that they teeter between farce and 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 genuineness. And I think one of you guys t- touched upon it earlier. Just about that balance of being absurd and being like you know real. And I know that even in a comedy, you have to make the audience fall in love with your characters. You know, the reason why Wedding Crashers works so well is because we want Owen Wilson. We know what Owen Wilson is going to get the girl. But we want him to. Yeah. We want Vince Vaughn to win in the end. But and, and part of that comedy is to like endear ourselves to them. So when you have a character like Paul Rudd, like Danny, who is so acerbic and so um, just, you know, just doesn't just hates everything just is, 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 is upset and angry. Um, and then you match that with the farcical nature of some of the comedy in this. Do you find that, I mean, and I think it kind of fits in role models well, but do you think that it makes it tough for an audience to stick with it? Like we love it. We, all of us love watching films and love, you know, watching movies, but for the casual moviegoer, do you think it's difficult for them to really latch onto a movie like this because it goes between both ends of the spectrum in terms of comedy. Um, Cause that was the one thing I kept asking myself, like, is it going too far? Yeah. Is it, is it not going far enough? Like, what do you guys think about that? I, yeah. I mean, I think the, the one, I love this movie. I think it's a great, great comedy, but the big problem I have is Paul Rudd's character who mm-hmm. I think is just intensely unlikable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where it's like, yeah, I don't really care if he gets what he wants at the end. He's just kind of a jerk the entire time. And mm-hmm. it's his own fault, right? It's his like attitude towards life and stuff. And I know that they want him to go through a transition. I get that. But it is a very hard sell for the first half hour where he's just, you know, acting out like a little <laughs> child because life is not going the way he wants it to. Um, right. But I think, yeah, it's, it is difficult. I think it's one of the reasons why this movie didn't maybe land with the same impact is like i don't know like knocked up or super bad something like that mm-hmm. where this the characters in that were a little bit i think more relatable or likable or something but yeah i think is it's a big a big hill to climb i think for the audience paul Rudd's character yeah i think that do you think this yeah go ahead go ahead i was, I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna add on to that quick that that absurdist like david wayne style right is 
like other movies, the Baxter wanderlust, like he doesn't do the traditional thing of having the straight man that is likable. Right. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know that the, the vibe that I got from this rewatch, um, is is kind of like arrested development where like you have the jason bateman character in the straight man role but also like you you don't really like you don't really like michael bluth either right <laughs> like he's kind of miserable and uh and so like i i actually think it's pretty smart what they did i do agree that's probably why it didn't catch on why you know it wasn't uh it, it's a little bit forgotten but um by having that really like strange but chemistry laden dynamic between Danny and Wheeler where it's like Danny's miserable and unlikable, but then also Wheeler is likable, but also just like empty headed and a pig. So like (laughs) you have those archetypes, but you usually would also have like somebody to like to center them. And really, honestly, I think that's kind of like I, if, if, if I could nitpick, like I, I think there's a there's a version of this movie, like a more updated, more modern version, 15 years later, where like Elizabeth Banks's character gets to be more than just like the annoyed girlfriend, right? Yeah, right. Um, but uh, that 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 dynamic works for the kind of comedy that David Wayne does and is known for. And I actually think you know, uh, I I didn't like Wanderlust a lot when I first saw it, and I'm a you know, state and Stella fanboy, but then like upon rewatches, it's like you kind of, and that's kind of how I think role models tends to work too. Um, is like you, you, you start to admire it a little more for what it doesn't do as much as what it does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You also have what's, we haven't even talked about the kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you know, like you have a character of Augie who is sympathetic and I think that he pairs well with Danny in terms of Danny's story. I mean, at, there's at least something there with Augie, but with uh, the other character, I can't I already blink Ronnie, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Ronnie, sure. yeah. With Ronnie, you don't really get, you, you only get that he's hurt when his mother tells Wheeler that he really looks up to you. And then you get a shot of Ronnie in, in his, in his living room and he's sad. And that's really the only time you kind of get that. Uh, that same kind of sense you got with we got, I think you got a lot more with Augie and Danny than you did with Ronnie and Wheeler. Um, so I don't, and maybe that's just because of Bobby J Thompson's age at that point. Maybe he couldn't handle whatever they made. They didn't want to give him a lot of stuff. Um, You're also complaining about comedy movies being too long. No, <laughs> I hear you. Add more plot to role models. <laughs> I, I hear you, but they, they did a montage of them. They did the, the classic eighties montage of them getting together and doing all that stuff. I mean, they got to cut some of that down Butler. <laughs> that, that was like a five minute montage <laughs> i don't know i'm just saying you, you, you i mean you also I just, get that ronnie's dad stepped out on him just like wheelers mm-hmm. did you get a little mm-hmm. bit of that but they're also not the main characters true you're right you yeah. so you're saying that you're making a case that danny and augie are the main characters danny and augie and danny needs to change more than wheeler needs to change wheeler maybe needs more responsibility um but it's really Danny that really needs to change and more. Also, it's 2008 and you've got McLovin in your movie. So you're going to set him. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like my, stop saying like a young Marvin Hamlish. Who oh my gosh. That? I love that line. <laughs> <laughs> Good movie. <laughs> but I do think also, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, right? That we, so, you know, it's so infrequent that we get like a really, hilarious 
like young black actor, like this mm-hmm. kid who plays Ronnie. And, you know, he, 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 he's still been steadily working, but it's not been a, a lot nowadays. And it's also unfortunate that he's given the absent dad plot line, pretty stereotypical. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yet I do think like, I'm also coming at this as a teacher. And so like, I, I was, I'm just like, every time I watch this movie, I'm so impressed that with his delivery, not only of the comedic lines, but of just like, also with the facial expressions, like he, he's got, he, he's just like this completely, like, you know, that movie, good boys, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like the, I, that movie sucks. And, (laughs) and none of those kids have what this child actor had, where it's Mm -hmm. just like, you not only laugh at the profane things he's saying but you see those puppy dog eyes and you're just like this even when he's like being he's like literally assaulting wheeler and you're just like oh but he's so he's so great isn't he like (laughs) like i just it's it it, they got pretty lucky with that casting i think and yeah i do wish that there it wasn't necessarily the um uh as much as the Danny Augie thing. But I mean Christopher Mintz-Plasse is great too. So it's it's just an embarrassment of riches problem, right? Yeah. That's probably yeah. I think Ronnie coming out of the movie, that was like the number one thing for the movie that stuck with me was how good his delivery was, how funny his lines were. Mm-hmm. Just he was absolutely phenomenal. And yet same I was looking at his IMDB going, wow. Like he doesn't do a lot anymore. Yeah. Which I'm surprised right. about. Give him time. He's probably going to school and, you know, doing some things. He's, I give he's him no time. It's, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's got a steady gig on uh, Nick Cannon's Wild and Out. So he's probably fine. Uh, there you go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Making bank. <laughs> I love how they're openly selling energy drinks to middle school kids. Oh, my God. And elementary school kids. Could you Was imagine? That like a real thing? Uh, Red I, Bull used to go to colleges all the time yeah, I remember and they'd have girls in skimpy, uh, yeah. skimpy outfits handing you out Red Bulls early in the morning. They'd be like 5 a.m. No. Here, how you go? How you doing? <laughs> you guys know that? I'd be like, all right. <laughs> you guys know the Simpsons episode with the, the yo-yo guy? Yes. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, I, I just like, what a ridiculous premise. But uh, I swear to God, my, my kids elementary school two years ago a yo-yo guy showed up and <laughs> he's like not only selling yo-yos and showing tricks, but he's also like on the side kind of like hawking his, you know, what, I don't know what, even know what it was. I don't remember anymore, but like it happens. And yeah. some, there's just like, there's public education is so Capitalism, messed up man. guys. Capitalism. Like you, <laughs> if you get somebody calling your office and they're willing to, you know, pay you, uh, a, a couple grand so you can talk at kids in the auditorium for 10 minutes. Like, I don't know any administrator that would, uh, that would balk at that. Right. And this seemed like kind of one of those like overinflated, like this was like prime years for like monster energy drink. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like uh, they've got a lot of cash to burn. I think it's hilarious that they don't even care about the plot hole of like, they both got fired, but somehow they still have access to the truck for the, <laughs> the ending. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, bas- or basically like you know the, the Sweeney's just like ah, I know the judge you're fine I'm like right. okay everything, <laughs> everything like, works out d- remember when like she calls them and they're they're LARPing or laring whatever uh, yeah and they're supposed to be at the courthouse I mean don't you go to jail for that <laughs> <laughs> not in this world yeah. not when the judge used to supply you drugs yeah right <laughs> <laughs> and then Beth shows up and like she's watching him 
do his thing. And like you, the look on her face, she's like, oh, she's like, he's so she's endeared to it. It's like, really? He's just dressed as Paul Stanley or wh- whoever. <laughs> <Yeah>. And he's <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's uh, it, it, it's that weird kind of how, how do you balance that? Like being misogynist versus like being purposely over the top or like playing into stereotypes because they're funny versus playing into stereotypes because you're lazy. I don't it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 hard it, to hard to manage, hard to reconcile. But at, at the end of the day, it's it's still like when you leave it, you're. As long as that's the thing about these kind of movies, right? Is like as long as you're aware of that and critical of that, like I, I feel like you can still don't don't deny yourself the enjoyment of like legitimately mm. funny shit. <laughs> yeah, but, we've talked about it's a common theme on our show where we just we we talk about everything and then we're just like, so they didn't know how to write that female character there. Yeah, yeah, like just, yeah you know, exactly. it's it's always like that. <laughs> it's also like the third act problems we always encounter. Mm-hmm. Like they want to end it on this big lair fight. And that's the only thing in their heads. So when they get to the big lair fight and they go, wait, what was the point of the story again? <laughs> that, <laughs> like, the, Let's just wrap to, it up quick. Yeah. <laughs> and that to that point, brother, they, ne- they bring up, they never bring up that this is a big battle. They talk about the battle before that he gets the king and he, he, you know, he gets made fun of and kicked out. Like that was the big <laughs> right, battle yeah. that was coming. Yep. But this second battle was never talked about. <laughs> oh, and then all of a sudden battle. it's even bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they mentioned uh, earlier, are you coming to the battle Royale? And that's about it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- this is also, I don't know. I, I can't really nail down as the, the specific, you know, dates and time, but it, this feels like this is 2008 or uh, when it came out, but this feels like around this time, maybe like the 10 years before and 10 years after where you had leading characters, leading actors like Paul Rudd in this, who are, mean and, and nasty and acerbic like it seems like there's a lot of those type of characters I, I guess I don't know in the last 20 years I don't know what you guys think about that if that's because it seems like I've seen that 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 Danny character mm-hmm. before in other movies I was gonna say when they, these guys were talking about how unrealistic I was watching this movie now going oh my god I am Danny <laughs> oh yeah I'm totally. hating my job for 10 years <laughs> going oh my god <laughs> hating everything I was like I've never related more to a character right now I mean, I I, he, was make, Danny in this film. he was making some good points about that venti, but you know, I hear it. Venti meets 20 field. He meets 20. <laughs> but that's also one of those things where it's like now every time I go to a Starbucks or whatever, I think of this movie because <laughs> like, it's just, it, it's incredible that those, the, it's all those little things that add up. But I do think that the character, yeah, I think that is something, was it, I mean, was, is that like of the time period? Like. I don't know. Yeah. The Bush two years, like, you know, the transition to like, I feel like there's just like, like that's, that's almost, that's like part of the Judd Apatow thing too. Right. Well, yeah. He's kind of pathetic. Yeah. And so is like, I always thought about this. um, uh, Jason Siegel in forgetting Sarah Marshall is also unlikable Mm -hmm. because he's so pathetic. And it's a sort of this sad sack who, you know, cynical. Yeah. It's like, he's not successful. He's more helpless in forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's just they're just I don't know. They painted themselves into their into a corner. And I don't know. You like you want to root for them, but they're just so pathetic. Just, <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I mean, that's how I see it. It it, it feels like an Apatow verse type thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I think okay. before this, though, in the 90s, you just had really stupid main characters, though, especially if they were the male characters in a movie. 
that somehow yeah. everything would work out for them. And no matter what, like raunchy or terrible jokes they said, the female character at the end would still be into them and they'd save the day. So I feel like right. this is just stepping forward into a different kind of the same unlikable man, male character that's still going to somehow get yeah, the girl like, and save the day. It's like men well, got like Adam unlikable Sandler's in a different way. They went from like dopey to just like cynical jerks, right? So, yeah, yeah. Can't have a comedy yeah. with a likable guy as your main character. It's got to be a douche. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's the things like we're, we're also looking at it. If you look at it from the dramatic angle, it's the, it's the whole anti-hero discourse, mm-hmm. right? Of, <laughs> Uh, how much do you need to be empathetic with the main character for? And yeah, traditionally for a comedy, you would think that it would be, but that's, that's also just like the, that is the, the, the sexism of the the genre and the history of like filmmaking, right. And it's, it's not a surprise that once again, you know, you got a white male lead with a, a movie scripted by a bunch of white dudes directed by a mm-hmm. white guy. So it's like, you're, you're going to have, that kind of it's it's almost like there's this uh, subconscious thing where it's just like you assume that if it's if it's a white guy and I'm a white guy well it doesn't matter how pathetic or obnoxious or miserable I make him like we've all got those pieces of ourselves and so we're going to follow his plot line because that's what we're used to <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yep. Yep. yep yep so do you guys think that well, that's not the question I want I want to ask would this be a movie that you would suggest to anyone or would it be people that you would know that like this type of comedies i that's a tough question i don't yeah. think i would recommend it to a lot of people like i right. would say like people my age who are into this sort of comedy yeah or like somebody younger who's like into improv or something like definitely but like the average person it's 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 kind of a niche movie i think mm-hmm. yeah you know i i'm still surprised like i've got like my old dvd collection on my shelves in my classroom and so sometimes students will like peruse them and the like the one that always gets comments is super bad and it's just like still today like kids love super bad and you know there's something different obviously there's a lot of things different between super bad and role models but like there's still that kind of essence of it where it's like they, they, I, I would want to see if some of that like weirder humor would be interesting to like the kids of today that like super bad. But at the same time, it, you, I don't I, I think it would turn them off along with like a lot of the stereotypical stuff in it. But I don't know. I, 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 I feel like I would hopefully I've also done this and just failed miserably before. Like I've had so many people watch <laughs> the Baxter and I'm like, isn't it the perfect romantic comedy? And they're like, oh, no. that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's you no, can't but- recommend that to anybody. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a, yeah. The Baxter is so ridiculous. <laughs> I tried at literally tried to watch it this weekend just cause I hadn't seen it in a long time. And on Amazon prime, it's like the, the way that they um, put the film up digitally is all wrong. Like it's that sort of, what? yeah, it's completely yeah. wrong. Like it's like shrunken on the screen as I like, oh. don't even care enough about this movie to make it right on like prime. I was like, Oh God. It's super it's indie sad, too. Sad you can film. tell it's super independent. Uh, just, just on the locations and when they shoot, but I loved I, my favorite part of the, we covered the Baxter a while ago and my favorite part of the Baxter is what's his face. The boyfriend. Yeah. When Justin he's just Durham, like, yeah. yeah. When he's talking about, uh, 
you know, like, oh, like he's just going to walk into the bar and he's like, hello, Caroline. And he just like pops in his head. I, that's one of my, and then he's like, you want to dance off? Let's go. Let's dance off. I love oh the back so I saw the, the bar scene. Was I saw the, the back game. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Electric man. Yeah. <laughs> we, I watched that at the Tribeca Film Festival oh, nice. uh, and it was like a packed house. It was, it was like such an awesome experience because it was packed. They were there and they had a little Q and A afterwards and it was like, that was like back then when like, you know, you, not everything was available everywhere. Like you had yeah. to go places to kind of see things. And that was, that was, I remember like, Oh my God, these guys did well in American summer. Let's go see the best. And we went, it was great. But uh, that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll come to the point when we ask, I always ask Butler this and I'll ask you guys this. Why are we saying this is a forgotten film? Oh. For, I mean, we probably talked about it. We probably talked around it a little bit, but why would you think that this is a forgotten film? Like why? Why just people don't talk about this enough? Hmm. I mean, I think from my perspective, it, it just got buried in like uh, a year when there were so many comedies coming out. And this was last in the in the line of them. So it came out in November, right? So, and, and this is what happened to me. I saw all these movies in the theater. I, you know, I laughed my ass off at, at most of them. And by God, I was just tired by the time I got to this one. And yeah. uh, I think that's a big reason why it didn't like is I was like, who puts this out in November? Like you said, this is more like a summer release. So there was something about the release and the timing where it just did not click uh, with a wide spectrum of people. Uh, and I think the comedy is a little bit sort of, you know, it's different. It's off kilter. It's it's kooky. Uh, it's absurdist. So I think that's one of the reasons why it does not have. Uh, a sort of as popular following following as like super bad or even forgetting Sarah Marshall or especially step brothers, uh, which is like a cult film now. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's why I just kind of got overshadowed by those, those bigger films. Yeah. And I do think that there's something to be said for, uh, the fact that this was David Wayne's first foray into like wide release, big studio filmmaking and, you know, uh, there's a piece missing. There's a few pieces missing for something like that to connect. So you don't have like the experience behind it. Like you would with, uh, um, other movies of that time period. Uh, you know, like the freaks and geeks guys had a lot of experience before trying to play to big audiences with still like legitimately good and arguably artistic stuff. Um, but then you just had, uh, I think like we said earlier, there's nothing really like tethering the film. Like when you have those moments of character development of transformation, like, I think they work because I know what the movie is. It's trying to balance between like being an effective story that's truthful and genuine and also being just like a, a vehicle for laughs and weirdness. Um, but because it doesn't go too heavy, it's like it's not normy enough like a Will Ferrell movie and it's not deep enough like, uh, you know, like the the whole you know, relationship of the two main characters in Superbad. So it, it's not really going to have that piece of either heart or traditional silliness to, to bring it to, you know, most people. Well, why do you think it's forgotten? Um, well, I think, unfortunately, I absolutely detest Superbad. I think McLovin is the Ooh. only decent part of the movie. <laughs> I think it's such Shots utter... fired. I think it's such utter garbage. I just absolutely detest it. Wow. Um, but it did uh -oh. super well. 
And because it did super well and Step Brothers did well, they're rated R comedies that go for it. And this, it, it, it's hilarious. I love this movie. I think it's silly, but I think it's silly enough that like not too so silly that everyone doesn't not like it. Everybody's quoting, you know, the Ben Affleck line when this first came out and (laughs) (laughs) Ronnie is awesome. And I think there's a lot of lines that worked in this movie and a lot of things people liked about the movie, but at the end of the day, you know, especially your main audience, which are, you know, teenagers come to see this movie. It just doesn't, it's not as hard R as super bad. It's not as hard R as, you know, people aren't trying to sneak into the movie like it's Zach and Mary make a porno because uh, it's got porno in the title. Uh, Forgotten Sarah Marshall had a lot more rated R type moments. Knocked Up. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Knocked Up, but it, that was more. Adult. Damn. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. That was my reaction. <laughs> these movies are more adult when they're R rated. Uh, Step Brothers obviously has a ton of like R rated moments and stuff like that. And this is kind of tame. And I think the tameness of role models um, more than its silliness is what kept it from kind of staying on in popular culture as the rest of the movies did. Okay, a couple things. You're telling me that the dialogue of the, this is tame. I don't have a raincoat. That's okay. I'm very pro-choice. That's tame. <laughs> <laughs> like I laughed and then I was like, should I laugh at that? <laughs> <laughs> or how many um, times Jane Lynch talks about sucking dick for Coke? Yeah. I know. <laughs> but compared like to like super bad and stuff R. like that. You know, do you know what I had for breakfast? Cocaine. <laughs> I feel like that's like improv humor if you're in college, right? It's right, not the yeah. same as like someone putting their testicles on a drum, like in stuff. Yeah, that's exactly. True. Yeah, true. <laughs> There's not that gross out stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When was the last time you saw Super Bad Butler? I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> probably like 10 years ago. Yeah, you should probably watch it again. All right, no, never mind. See, that's, because that's I like role models exactly the same as I like role models before. I. Mm-hmm. Really hated super bad before. I'm not gonna like it now because wow. I really a I really hate uh, it was Michael Sarah's the other guy right? Yeah, Sarah Jonah. Yeah. yeah. So that automatically makes me absolutely detest it. He's he's wow. right up there with Jesse Eisenberg. Not not quite there. But I just <laughs> don't, don't like, like his shtick. You don't like Jesse Eisenberg because you don't like him as Lex Luthor. No, and I didn't going, like him ding, before, but then I really didn't know. It was less the ding. It was more the putting the Jolly Rancher in the guy's mouth. It's just like, come on. Do you guys remember that? Why did you remind me of that? Why would you do that? All right. So before we go, before we wrap it up, I'm going to open the floor for any more quotes that you guys like from the movie. Um, anything that popped up, we didn't cut, we didn't cover any, any quotes you like. I mean, I'm going to tell you when, when I get out of prison, can I hang out with your 10 year old son? I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I love when he's telling, telling her, let's get married. I don't have a ring. (laughs) I'm really good friends with the school nurse. She's a divorcee. (laughs) We will get raped in jail. Hey, do you want to get raped? You're probably wondering uh, about the whole rape conversation we just had. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's one thing that sticks out to me. It's not a line. And I don't know why this makes me laugh so much, but it's the dinner scene where Paul Rudd tells off his two parents. Oh, yeah, that's good. It's amazing, but there's this moment, and I don't know why it's funny to me, but the moment he leaves, Ken Marino puts his chair up on the table. Yes, yes. (laughs) Like, what is that all about? I can't even fathom what he's going through his head. (laughs) Oh, God. It's stuff like that that makes the movie so much fun, because it's like, what is this? This is just bizarre. Yeah. I do really enjoy uh, Sean William Scott's, the line isn't 
isn't that great, but the way he he sells it really good. The this may be a stupid question. The get out of jail free card. Is that real? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like when he's defending. He's like, it's not poisoning. It's that juice in it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also love them responding and reacting to Sweeney when she's saying her ridiculous stuff and they're like, why'd you put presence in quotes? Are we not here? <laughs> yeah, <that was> so <laughs> Wait, who's, who's the doctor? Yeah. Who's the PhD? <laughs> who's the PhD? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, well, uh, thank you for doing this. I think mean, we've been trying to have guests on the show yeah. and, and, you know, cause we just tired of talking to each other. Um, uh, you know, it's just me you and Mike going back and forth. <laughs> exactly. Um, if you guys want to, do you, what's your, do you know what your upcoming episodes are? I know you briefly touched about some of the comedy stuff, but do you know what specifically you're covering uh, coming up? Chris, what are you doing? Yeah, let's premiere it. Let's tease it. The official new premiere of Film Trace probably coming in a month or so. But we're going to look at both the upcoming release, Bullet Train and 21 Jump Street. Ooh, there you go. Absurdist action coming at you. Very nice. So Check them out. Film Trace. They are on, I mean, po- wherever you find your podcast. I mean, that's everything. I think that's what we all say, yeah, right? It's, it's out there find. in the ether. Uh, we're on, we're all under contract to say that. <laughs> we're on Twitter at film underscore trace. Uh, that's pretty much the only social media we care about because we're yeah. miserable like Danny. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think people, if people follow us, I've, I've, retreated a couple of your things a bunch of times and, and liked it. So hopefully they have found you through us that way, but if not, hopefully listen to this and they, we get you some followers and you know, vice versa. But uh, thank you very much for doing thank this. You. Uh, I appreciate this was, it, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, no, anytime uh, we love talking film. Uh, and then, you know, so it, it never, it's never a dull moment when we get to talk about any kind of movie, even if it's really, really bad, which we've, covered a few bad ones <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so butler give everyone tell us where they can find us and then we'll get out of here all right you can find us at forgotten or forgotten as we are part of the forgotten entertainment family while you're there check out all the other great podcasts and videos we have there for your listening and viewing pleasure uh and while you're at it wherever you're listening to us right now why don't you hit the like button subscribe button all that good stuff helps our podcast grow and join us in the lobby on Facebook. Uh, it's our Facebook group where we talk about the films and you guys can chat us up and what you guys think about role models and all that kind of stuff. And next week we'll be doing the movie from 2013, The Way, Way Back. Uh, have you seen this film? No, I keep looking at the title on our list and thinking it's the Ben Affleck movie from a couple of years ago. That's The Way Back. Yeah, exactly. This is Which is actually not that bad of a film, but The Way, Way Back... I liked quite a bit with Steve Carell and I'm blanking on his name, but he can dance. He was in Charlie's angels. Jenny. Nope. Not Jenny. Tatum. Sam. Sam Rockwell. Yes. Sam Rockwell's in this as well. God, man, I really blank on names. I'm getting <laughs> old. So that's next week. The way, way back until then, everyone have a great week. I am Mike field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been forgotten cinema. Hello there. General McMillan, I was expecting a podcaster of your abilities to be a little older.
Anders, you're shorter than I expected. No need to be so uncivilized. I'm Anders, that's Colleen. Join us along with our co-hosts, Daniel and Flo, for yet another Star Wars podcast, because the internet can never have enough nerds talking about Star Wars. This season, we're headed, hopefully briefly, back again to the edges of Tatooine's Dune Sea to explore the new series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. We'll search our feelings for what we know is true, that changing your first name from Obi-Wan to Ben is the most effective cover story in the history of the galaxy. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.